yeah, so you have to know what you're doing and then you, you're communicating that through art. And my professor was like, well, you know, this is a job, you know, people do this for a living. And I was like, well, that is what I shall be doing for a living. <laughs> I decided just now. Welcome back to the Medical Illustration Podcast. This is your host, Paul Kelly. I'm a medical illustrator specializing in 3D animation for teaching surgery, and I work at the Toronto Video Atlas of Surgery. There are so many people in the field of medical illustration that I admire and who inspire me. So I came up with this podcast as a sort of cheat code to get to talk with these folks and get to know them better. For my first episode of 2022, my guest is a perfect example of someone I look up to, someone whose career I've followed online and learned so much from, and so it was an absolute joy to get to speak with her. Mesa Schumacher graduated from the Johns Hopkins Art as Applied to Medicine program in 2015. She specializes in medical and scientific visual storytelling, and her impressive portfolio includes many of the niche specializations in our industry, including medical and natural science illustration, 2D and 3D animations, 3D models, infographics, sculpture, and photography, just to name a few. In this conversation, we talk about her experiences at archaeological sites, the strengths and differences between traditional and digital art, getting into the field, building good work habits, networking, living abroad, working from home, how the role of medical and scientific illustrators has changed over time, SciArt Everydays, the freelancer lifestyle, the association of medical illustrators, time management and productivity, and nurturing a growth mindset. Just a heads up, there is some adult language thrown around at a few different points in this episode. So without further ado, here's my interview with Mesa Schumacher. Mesa, thank you so much for joining me. This is uh, this is amazing. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule for this because I know you must be crazy busy. No, no. I, I mean, honestly, like anytime I get to talk about med art is fun, especially right being, on. you know, far away from the hubs of operation, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Happy, happy to come on. Um, I really like what you guys are doing or what you're doing and just, I don't know, um, I've listened to all the episodes and yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Um, you know, it's been a lot of fun. I There was so many things that uh, I didn't anticipate, but this was something I wanted to do for a really long time. I think in our field, there's so much of the visual content that's put out. We don't always yeah. hear and, and see the actual people behind it, which sometimes I, th I kind of like. I like the fact that there is this anonymity where you don't always know, you know, who this person was that, that made this beautiful artwork. And then, you know, it might surprise you to find out who it was. But uh, at the same time, it allows the artist, I think, to have the work stand on its own more. If yeah. that makes sense. No, that that it does. It's um, I was actually just talking uh, with my husband about this, about, you know, how different people portray themselves as medical artists online. <laughs> mm. And um. And sometimes I feel like things can be very formal in our industry, you know, mm -hmm. when you have like yes. studio output, it's, there's kind of a formal voice that it's, it's um, released in and, and there's reasons for that. But I also mm -hmm. think there's, um, there's like so much space in the industry for different kinds of communication, you know, mm -hmm. different types of voices for different types of audiences. So uh, it's it's neat to see kind of the diversity of people who are out there working and what they're what they're doing and what sort of stuff they're um, they're putting together and why and for who. 
and it's kind of it's yeah i mean i like meeting the people behind the art so yeah definitely i'm gonna be just overjoyed when we have our next in-person meeting again which oh, i hope i hope I you can make i know it's gonna be a crazy flight no i'm gonna try <laughs> really hard i've been trying to get to a meeting for like years and things mm. keep happening <laughs> so um yeah. It's, it's actually really frustrating, but I mean, it's small in the large scheme of things, but it's, um, yeah, I, I really like, I really, really want to see people in person again. Um, there's something about that sort of energy of like, uh, going to talks and then going and having beers and just talking about production processes that I just can't get anywhere else, you know, so. Oh, absolutely. Special time. And there's so many of those just little ra random conversations that happen that the unintended yeah. conversations like that's that's one of the, the great joys, I think, of working alongside people in the workplace that I mean, everybody's basically gone remote now. And we've all seen that. Yeah, this is totally doable. There were, you know, people, especially people in our industry that were saying for years, like, oh, yeah, this is fine, guys. Like, and I think maybe the folks in our industry particularly we're like ready to go when everything kind of yeah. like you know shut down a lot of medical illustrators are like well no change for me I've always been working from home right yeah I mean I I kind of felt like just my life improved because I've been working from home for a long time and you know everything is remote and it's yeah and then everyone else kind of got on board it's like yes finally and um just I mean not to it did open up a lot of possibilities where people were just more willing to work remote and make those things work and also be a little bit more flexible, which mm -hmm. was nice. I felt like um, just kind of a space opened up where you could say, well, and also, by the way, I have kids and um, and I, I need to do that and I'm, I'm gonna get my work done and we can find, and they, you know, very often they're like, oh, so do I, here's my four-year-old in the background. Um, mm -hmm. and. And that kind of humanizing of, um, of some clients was really nice in a way that maybe we hadn't broached before. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But the work's still good, hopefully. You know, the work continued. Oh, <laughs> it's, oh, oh, definitely. Just we're all humans here, right? We're all humans. We're all just doing our best to get through life and do some good communicative visual science art. And uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Sometimes uh, I think that does get forgotten, you know, <laughs> that, uh, yeah, we all are human, especially when, you know, we're interacting with maybe clients or collaborators who kind of maybe just see us as like just churning out this work. And so, you know, that that's something I definitely want to ask you about, because when it comes to churning out work, I don't know if there's a better <laughs> person to, uh, to touch base with on this i mean right now so we're, this is october 22nd that we're recording this yeah. and so we're sort of towards the tail end of inktober which is a tradition every year where a lot of people post uh traditional ink drawings or maybe you know just black and white drawings but you've been doing inktober posts pretty consistently to some extent to some like with some large gaps and some reposts yeah. so but this is in addition to your daily posts for your year-long project you've been doing, Project Animalia. I just love Inktober. It's it's like, <laughs> I, I actually, I really appreciated you had a breakdown on the AMI Hub 
of kind of the controversy of it now. Mm-hmm. And I, I really appreciated that. Um, you know, I was kind of like, I'm still a, I'm still a participant because um, I think it's bigger than any one person at mm-hmm. this point. But yeah, I, I love pen and ink. I really love pen and ink and I feel like I don't get to use it enough. And so October comes around and I just like, I really want to just draw in black and white. It's, it was hard to like give it up, but yeah. You're doing a cool project. I like all your kind of melding of, you, you've, you've kind of shown up for Inktober for a couple of years now. Uh, well, so last year and then actually, so two years ago, this is kind of embarrassing, but I actually did the drawings in 2019. Yeah. I did them every day. And I never posted them because I was so That's embarrassed. Okay. Like I was, <laughs> I was so self-conscious. And then afterwards I was like, oh, that was, that's not that big of a deal. <laughs> Should have just posted them. Oh, so, but hey, you're growing, right? Yeah. Each, each step forward <laughs> in whatever yeah. challenges you take on. That's awesome. You should, have you posted them since? Yes, I have actually. Okay. Yeah. So Good. last year when I did, when I did do Inktober and then I posted them, Afterwards, I was like, all right, I'm just going to post the ones from last year. And so I did that over the course of November. And that is really what kicked off me getting into this daily art posting, you know, routine, Yeah. which, you know, for some people, it's, you know, that's kind of just how they, they do their thing. But I noticed that it's, it's, it is sort of rare to see somebody posting daily, like every single day. And of course, now we live in the age of people, yeah. Mike Winkleman, you know, who has made. I love people. Yeah. I, I love his stuff. <laughs> it's amazing that he's gotten so much fame and recognition to the point where he can almost do no wrong. You know, I mean, a lot of his images are pretty raunchy, you know, but uh, people love it nonetheless. Well, I love I, what I love about people is like you can. The point, to me at least, the point of dailies is you're just like putting it out there. Mm-hmm. You're just like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna engage in a practice of creativity, and I am not any one image that I create. I am just a practicing artist, and I am improving. I am exploring this. I'm doing this. I'm trying to, you know, whether I'm trying to learn something, I as in any artist, right? But. <laughs> either either like exploring an idea or like working something out or just I really want to draw this and it's been on my list for a really long time and I just want to get it on the page and I think there's something really I I just feel like when you give yourself that deadline like something has to be up there today whether whether you do five and then you just like languish for four days or if you like actually do a daily I wake up you know and while I have my coffee I do this for 10 minutes or whatever it's like, it just kind of gets you out of your head. And I, I think, I feel like more creative during the day when I'm drawing for myself every single day. So I don't know, I did, I did months before. I've done like a number of month challenges for myself, some Inktober and some like other, but I don't know. I just, I just really like shooting out images before I jump into all the deep client work or during, or I don't know, just like doing something for yourself, I think is important whatever that may be, whether you post it or not. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree with you more here. I, I mean, you, you really kind of hit all the major points there. It really is about sort of affirming to yourself that you are a creative professional. Yeah. You know, you're kind of like validating yourself by just saying like, yeah, this is me. This is just who I am is somebody who creates every day. 
Yeah. And I, I mean, I honestly feel like it helps like half of the point of the one I'm doing now, the daily animals uh, is, is really just like, it was kind of like out of frustration on new year's Eve. And I was like, how am I going to get through this year? I've been moving around a lot. I've been living in hotels. I've got two kids, you know, under five and um, no childcare. So we're like, my husband and I are trading shifts. And um, that's the case for like a lot of people right now. And still, but I have like a lot of stolen minutes, you know, where I could just be scrolling on my phone or something, or I could just be like, here's my iPad, right? And um, yeah, so it's, it was almost in a way, it's like staving off, like that creativity needs to be, itch needs to be scratched. Otherwise, you're just gonna be completely burned out, you know? Yeah. That sounds counterintuitive, but yeah, letting that part of your brain work for a little bit and get into kind of flow where you're not, you know, deep in a molecular paper or something or problem solving for a client and like tweaking arrows here and there in an MOD or whatever. And like, you have to be, it's a different sort of part of your brain that I don't necessarily get to dive into every day if I'm just doing client work, work right? So anyone, I don't know, anyone out there who's considering dailies, like, it's great. Even if it's just like, yeah. sketch something for two minutes and have that be your thing. It's, um, I don't know, I feel like you like level up in a way. Oh, heck yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I'm so glad you mentioned you it's... <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I really do. And I'm glad that you kind of kicked that off with saying it's counterintuitive because you'd think that you would get burnt out by forcing yourself to do this extra chore every single day. But it's not really a chore. It's actually a really energizing practice. I feel like it's like exercising like or something, you know, yeah. getting out of your studio, going for a walk, going for a run, doing whatever, you know, you like you don't want to do it at the time. But then once you do it, you feel great sometimes. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, every single time. Yeah. I, when I get started, I'm, I kind of start to drag. I'm like, oh, I got to do this. But then <laughs> five minutes in, I'm like, I don't want to be doing anything else. Yeah. Or I'm like, you know, <laughs> totally zoned in, flowing. It's it, it's great. Yeah, that's awesome. So, yeah, you picked animals, which was brilliant because, you know, you have that background. But you're also at the same time, you're building up like a really impressive archive of images. I'm not going to lie and say it's not like strategic. I'm always, <laughs> my, my library of assets is often on my mind. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's both for like just personal art in that like, you know, I've, I've started to put some things together. I have like some internal plans of compilations and compositions that I'm doing for just for fun, like fine art, whatever. Nice. And then other things are like, um, you know, I've been, I've been considering licensing them to different parties and I do have them, you know, for sale in a mixed tiles shop. So I don't know how much money that's going to make, but they contacted me and I was like, why not? You know, I'm selling them on society six, sell them on mixed tiles too. Nice. So th there's some, there's a couple of things there. And then it has brought in some work, you know, dailies also bring in work. I've gotten some more biological jobs and um, I like those types of jobs. <laughs> it's, it's kind of my roots. So, um, you know, you do work and that type of work begets more work of that sort. So I do often kind of try to target projects if I'm going to do personal projects towards work I would like to do, you know, I feel like that's a, mm -hmm. I mean, that's a good way to do anything, right? Don't force yourself to do work you don't want to do. Um, if you're going to do it for yourself, just, you might as well be 
veering in the direction you want to head totally or that makes you happy and <laughs> sparks your interest yeah versus something that i don't know maybe lucrative or but but just like has no joy in it whatsoever mm -hmm. um yeah well, one of the things that I thought was really cool about your project is I've seen that you've been communicating and interacting with other folks on social media. There was one artist in particular who I think was taking like color swatches oh, yeah. from your dailies and then making like patterns or graphic design kind of like, like tell, tell us about that. How did that come about? Yeah. So, so this has actually been like the best part of this project. And I was kind of hoping I would, I'm not very good at social media, actually. I'm like actually terrible could have fooled me <laughs> no i'm terrible at it and um and this was partially this was like i i wanted to get better at it this year um and i knew mm -hmm. i was going to be really isolated this whole year and i knew i was going to be sad <laughs> and i knew i wanted to do more art and i thought you know partially social media holds you accountable right it's an easy mm -hmm. it's a, just i view it as an easy way to hold myself accountable i announce something or i put something up there and then i have to do it Otherwise I feel bad about myself or I feel like I've failed, which, um, yeah. Um, but then like a month or so in, I got contacted by, uh, Ali Torben who okay. I hadn't met, but I, I do a lot of infographic work. Um, and I've done a lot of kind of editorial work specifically. I interned at national geographic years ago, and then I kind of rolled into a contributor role with them. And so I do, I do what is called, graphic researcher for them. But often that's also a little bit kind of assistant infographic designer. Okay. Because it entails both doing the research, bringing in different scientists, um, proposing, you know, graphic pitches and directions, sometimes doing some sketching, sometimes doing the anatomy drawing um, art for a compilation piece. So like there will be, you know, a sea turtle and I will draw I will map out all the internal anatomy, you know, so that's fun. But so, so I do, I'm kind of a little, I have a toe in the infographic world and I love infographics. I, I wish I was better at doing all of them, um, you know, and doing the data processing as well. Um, but, you know, each thing has its own. Anyways, I'm going way off target, but. No, 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 it's all good. I love infographics. <laughs> and um, because of that, I follow a lot of infographic um, artists online. And I think that's how. Allie and I intersected and she was like, Hey, I, she, she runs a fantastic podcast called data viz today, which if you haven't checked oh. out, you should check it out. And, and she's done, she just like has done a lot of really cool stuff in terms of um, infographic outreach uh, as well. And she loves dailies and she wanted to do daily patterns off of the animals. So, and I was like, this is great. Yeah go for it. I have no idea what you're going to do, but like, I'm so excited to see it. So yeah, I, I put out something and then she came back right the next day with this cool pattern, you know, that she'd created using the colors and some of the, of the animal, um, uh, pattern and such. And immediately I was like, I have to dress up the animal now right? <laughs> because I have a pattern made out of its suit. So, uh, I think I gave like a hat or something. Um, and so then it kind of became this back and forth for a month, which was really awesome where, you know, I put an animal out and then I was like, what's she going to do? And then I get this pattern. And then I was like, so excited to just dump some, you know, boots or cape or design a little suit or something for whatever animal it was. And um, it got pretty fun. <laughs> and some, and people were getting kind of into that, you know, like commenting and that. And then, um, and I'm going to pronounce his name wrong. 
in American accent, you know, Diogo Guerra, but do you know how to say his name? I'll, I'll probably mess it up too. <laughs> it's okay. I, I do not speak Portuguese correctly, but yeah, sorry, Diogo. <laughs> Diogo Guerra. Um, anyways, I'm, I'm butchering that it. Sounds I'm good. Sorry. I'm really sorry, but he's been doing <laughs> color swatches for each week. He kind of jumped on what he's calling the creativity train and I love it. Um, so he's just taking uh, colors from each animal that I draw and breaking them down into these beautiful palettes and then um, doing a whole infographic spread of uh, color gradations. And it's just like really, it's really fun to have that sort of interaction and, and see what someone else does. It's like chain letters, but the fun kind, not the kind that like, made me feel like I didn't have any friends or anything in middle school. I didn't know who to send that to. It's just, I, I don't know. So that's, that's been really fun to discover, like the fun portion of social media for me in the interaction. Um, good connections, positive connections. And, and also the other thing, I mean, so many people, scientists are get really into this. And then I get, I get all these awesome animal reference, you know, people send me cool stuff. Some people, you know, send me, I, I try to be really careful about um, references and not, I mean, I don't always post where my references are because often there are many different sources, but I try to be really mm -hmm. careful about either pulling from public domain sources or compiling enough sources that you can't even tell where it's from anyways. Hence, right. you know, I'm not infringing upon anyone's original work, but some people are just like, Hey, you want my photo library? <laughs> um, and that's, that's really cool to, you know, connect with people who are doing things of that sort. Um, just, and then suggestions. I've gotten great suggestions from people and I've, I'm learning, you know, more about animals that I didn't know about. And I've learned a lot this year. So it's, it's been a good meeting of minds in, in the sci art community that um, has been pretty special. So even after this year ends, I don't know, I, I wanna find a way to keep that going on some level, even if it's just like weekly or something, cause it's, yeah, it's the good portion of the internet. <laughs> Yes, true. Right. Yes. I, I love seeing, yeah, the positivity. I actually like to engage in what I call anti-trolling or like just doing the opposite of trolling where I'll just like go through my Instagram or LinkedIn feed. And just every time I see something cool, I just I like that. throw down a comment, just like, this is awesome. Great job. You know, just like spread the positivity. I love that so much. Yeah. It's just, it's actually when you do that for like 15 minutes or so, like you, you walk away feeling great. You're like, oh man, you know, like, I, I just want to go do more good in the world. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Some, some may say hero, but you know, <laughs> no, no. It's because of having had those nasty interactions before where like someone will like be arguing with you or, or, or drop some kind of negative comment on some work you've made. And you're just like, well, that's, that's not cool, man. Why? But yeah. But then you're like, well, you know what? people forget sometimes how much of an effect they can have on somebody with just a comment, you know? Yeah. And I think they're just sort of, they're just venting and they don't really think of it as, as being important. And, and they'll think, Oh, well, you know, it's up to them to brush it off. You know, I'm not responsible for their reaction. Right. Yeah. But it's, it's so interesting, you know, um, uh, how much a comment or something like that, what sort of effect that can have on a person, I think. And even, mm -hmm. To people like I know you know you've been doing this a long time I've been doing this a while like critique I welcome critique mm -hmm. I I every day I get clients calling my work things and I just you know I have lists and lists like, of comments and 
and they're not all good. And, and you just take that in and you say, okay, something isn't working here. And this is good because this is my shortcut to something better. Right. And I don't have to sit there for, and put it aside for a couple of weeks and then come back to it and deal with that. Or like somehow rally a group of my peers and have them critique it for me. You know, I get feedback, but you have to be open to critique. There's, there's like a way to critique, right. Mm -hmm. In which you're asking for certain types of feedback and you're hopefully eliciting the type of feedback that you need. And then like, it's constructive and you're going to go through and create action items and attack that versus just putting something out there and saying, Hey, here's a thing. And then having people say, well, in my unsolicited opinion, <laughs> actually it would have been better if you'd done this. Um, which I mean, is fine too. People can say, you put something online, people can say what they want, but it is a little bit like, well, well, why, why, why did you feel the need to type that out? <laughs> Aren't there better things you could do with your time? I don't know. Yeah. yeah. But it's, I mean, it's probably a lot more about them than about you, the creator, right? Yes. Hard to keep that in mm -hmm. mind though, sometimes. It is, it is. Yeah. But th th that's a great point that, you know, once you've been working for a while, you do become way, you have a much thicker skin for critique. And yeah. as a student, I remember, and even before I actually, I had a good friend in high school who, you know, we used to get together and just draw, you know, hang out and, and he would always be giving me critiques that I, at the time I was like, not prepared for. And I was just like, man, don't tell me how to do, you know, my thing or like, you know, this is my style. Like, oh, that's, that's the worst. That's the worst excuse you can ever say is when somebody is giving you a correction or some kind of like change to make. And you say, no, no, this is just my style. This is just how I do it. Right. That's the telltale sign of like, you know, someone who's still kind of just in that student phase. But I'm so thankful now that my buddy, you know, really, you know, he would he would give it to me sometimes and be like, dude, look, this doesn't work because it's not balanced. You know, you've got your negative space and he would be using these art terms that now I appreciate like, oh, man, I I'm so glad I got that before I went to grad school. I had a little bit of a taste of what that was going to be like. And I think you hit the nail on the head, though, that, you know, it's got to be constructive. Yeah. You know, but at the same time, with experience, you learn to pick out what are the constructive bits from what I'm hearing. Yeah. I mean, right. It, it sounds like did you go to med art school young, pretty young? I did like not. Actually, actually, I was quite a bit older. OK. I think, I, yeah, I was definitely like the oldest person. In my year. I, I skewed older as well. But um, mm. yeah, it, that's I'm always curious where kind of where people find their way into this weird little pocket of communicative arts. <laughs> but mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, I feel like one of the most annoying things to me in grad school was when people hadn't gotten out of that phase where, you know, you, you come to a critique and, and the worst thing to me is just when <laughs> someone is like, I drew this thing. Oh my God. It's so bad. It's so bad. It's, it's the worst. I, oh, I can't draw, I can't draw at all. And um, anyone saying that who is in a medical art grad school is, it's useless. Um, you know, you've come this far, you clearly are talented and have worked hard and like, just give yourself some pat on the back, give yourself some credit. And it doesn't have to be, but it almost feels like self-sabotage. You know, it's like, I'm going to, I'm going to go and I'm yeah. going to say something bad about this before anyone else notices that I'm a fraud. Right. Mm -hmm. It's got almost like, I feel like it's almost like a form of like procrastination or something. It's, it's, um, you know, it's like, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to salt the earth before anyone else does. And then, and then 
it just shuts everyone down. So like if if anyone out there is is doing that, you know, I feel like if, if you're doing that, your reviewer is probably thinking, well, I don't know if this person can handle critique. So I'm gonna I'm gonna throw mm. some softballs and I'm not gonna really let them know what I think because I don't think they're ready to hear it and they're not gonna hear it. And I think when you realize that, that like critique is a tool for you. And if you just sit there and you, and you don't even have to say anything, you just say, you know, hey, and actually I think it, it helps if you provide like what you tried to do because each art piece, like you're trying to do something, right? So you, you bring something up and you say, here, you know, I'm trying to highlight here. I want to tell this story. And I've made some choices to like bring that to the forefront and not pay attention to these other things. But, you know, I'm really interested to hear how you think that's working and how I can improve that. And that just opens up space for everyone who's looking at it to say, okay, well, now we have some guidance to that. I feel like that can be really helpful to people, you know, kind of starting out and trying to get over that hump of self-hatred you're you're yeah. trying to accomplish something just like you would with an essay or anything else that you're doing in school and we just don't learn to do that in art because we don't focus on art and but you're just learning to get better at your craft and um you don't have to take any advice you can just say thanks yeah and just throw <laughs> it out the window <laughs> you know later oh totally don't take the comments just but sometimes I feel like some, especially with clients, you know, they'll hit on something and they'll harp on something. And I'm just thinking, I see that this piece isn't working. Their ideas are not going to work either, but I can see <laughs> that I have to revisit this area because this area is a problem area mm-hmm. or, um, or, oh, that area is not working for them, but actually it's a different portion of the piece that's throwing that off. You know, and it's like clues. I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Critique is such an interesting I don't know, exercise, but yeah, I feel like once you get over, get, once you get out of your head and like out of thinking of each piece that you create as like a piece of your soul mm-hmm. and more like just a thing that you do all the time. And um, this is like what you do. I think that's where you kind of like move towards professional. You're not going to lose it if, um, if, someone, uh, if someone calls your bird anorexic, which I've had, <laughs> that's, that's a comment. I've gotten. Um, <laughs> it's one of my favorites. Anorexic and anemic. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Fair enough. That sort of feels like maybe they were, they just saw an opportunity to I mean, flex they wrong. like whatever. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's sometimes like people have like a comment they want to make, and this might not always be for critique, but I, I notice this a lot in just social situations. It's like when people have an opportunity to drop a burn, it's like they just can't help themselves. <laughs> and I feel like this is this is the effect we've all had of being raised on sitcoms is that we're always looking for that like moment where like the imaginary, you know, canned laughter would come in. You know, we're yeah, we're always we're always trying oh. to get those mic drops, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and those critique situations, I, I love the way you describe it. Clients don't always have the language, they're not always equipped. No, to- not at all say what it is they want or describe why they want this to be different. Yeah. I love the way you say that, you know, you, you have to kind of preface it for them and you kind of have to like, you know, serve it on a platter for them and, and you give them some uh, something to go off of the, in the way that you present it, right? I actually feel like medical art is really special in that way. Science art and medical art are really special and unique in um, mm-hmm. as far as, you know, commercial art in that way because 
you know, if you're, if you're like a concept or an editorial artist or even illustrating books or something, you know, you are getting art direction from an art director. You are working with someone who works with artists all the time. Maybe they're not the best communicator either, but they theoretically know how to communicate with you in terms that you're going to understand. And they're, they're maybe they're going to sugarcoat it or maybe they're going to be harsh, who knows, but, but they're, they are professionals who deal with artists. And so many of my clients and so many of many people's clients are, are not, whether they're, you know, running a pharma campaign and they're just like the people who were put on this job <laughs> internally. And they're like the communications people, but they're, they're, they're maybe not people who deal with artists all the time or whether they're researchers who have found you and they're putting together, you know, some uh, manuscript figures or trying to do a cover. They may never have worked with an artist before and they have no idea what they're doing. And to some extent, it is our job to be calm, be professional, explain exactly what we're gonna do, take their hand, guide them nicely through this journey of art creation, assure them that their comments are welcome and fine and needed and appreciated and that this is a collaborative process and we're gonna get there, we're gonna get there. It's okay, we're not there yet, but we're gonna get somewhere that they're gonna be pleased because we're gonna show what they need to show. And, and it may not be the best thing ever, you know? You never promise great art, like, but hopefully it's gonna be good. And um, yeah, right. And if you get good, like, that's pretty good. Um, but but so many, I feel like when you're working with a client, you know, so much of that interaction, it's not even about the art. It's like the art has to be there, but but it's about the process and it's about setting up expectations and managing expectations and then meeting those expectations in a way that works and, and, and you're taking control of that situation and you're dragging out comments and you're telling them exactly what you need to get through this process and this project, not just like being a passive observer and letting them steer the ship wherever they want it to go because they don't necessarily know what they're doing. You know, you're the creative communicative professional. So that, um, I feel like that's something that we do as medical and science artists that, um, is unique and um, it's, it kind of keeps our value throughout the years. I mean, we're not drawing mm -hmm. pathology specimens anymore. Like right. all the beautiful medical illustrations that I just poured over and still do. And, and I just love all the rich carbon dust, you know, uh, stuff from the first half of last century. <laughs> and I would love to be doing stuff like that, but I'm not going to be doing that. I'm not, nobody is ever going to ask me to draw a pathology specimen probably. They will ask mm -hmm. me to represent it maybe, but not, they're going to photograph it, you know, it's just, mm -hmm. or they're going to scan it, you know, but that's not yeah. our function anymore. We're not recording anymore. We're, we've moved beyond that. We're interpreting. So we're interpreting and we're explaining. And um, that's, that keeps us relevant. You know, technology comes in, technology changes. Um, actually, I had kind of a totally non sequitur, but totally related. Um, <laughs> I, so I started in archeological illustration a long time ago okay. and kind of steered towards medical. Um, and I, I knew I wanted to do medical, but I, st I started out in archeology span and um, I was on a dig site in Turkey and um, I- Okay, yeah, I was gonna ask about that. This is in the Turkey. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it, okay. just, it just kind of um, rule, rolled over. Like um, uh, they, they're done with their like 25 year permit now, but um, I did a couple summers there, it was great. Uh, and this was around 2009, 2011, was, um, right? Somewhere. In uh, yeah. 
I think my first year was 2010. So I did 2010, 11, 12 okay. at that site. Okay. And okay. then I did, I did some other sites um, in other places. Um, but that was my, my main gig for a few years during the summer. And you'd go and like live on site. And then every day I'd get up and me and the other uh, medical artist, Katie Kalaki, who's still working. She's in Canada actually now. She's oh, cool. migrated up north. Uh, but she does beautiful archaeological work and other. Um, but we would sit in a room and we would draw finds. And then sometimes we'd do like burial reconstructions and um, scene reconstructions, house reconstructions, stuff like that. So archaeological art kind of falls into those two things. It's like specimen kind of thing. And then um, interpretive. And uh, the second year, I think, all these scanners hit the site. So we like didn't even have internet hardly there they on purpose mm -hmm. so that people would work um we had like one dial-up computer you're like very remote um and uh and they but they brought in a laser scanner where they like basically go and scan the whole site which is great because archaeology is destructive so as soon mm -hmm. as you dig down you're ruining it and so you have to take good notes and you have to there's there's an element of like responsibility to the future to both mm -hmm. leave some elements untouched. Like for instance, Machu Picchu is only like 10% excavated. There's so much more. And they're- Oh, leaving. I didn't realize that. Yeah, no, I mean, it's just, I mean, it, it's the top, but like there's so much more out there and they just haven't touched it yet. And there's, there's so there's some conservation, some preservation, I guess, of, of things for the future because they recognize it's a very interdisciplinary science and they recognize times are changing and technology is improving very rapidly and they can do things they can do now like that they couldn't do 15 years ago you know so don't dig everything up before technology is caught up with us right but anyways they were they were scanning these laser scanners the whole site the excavations and then they also had you know tabletop scanners which are great because you can scan all these pottery pieces for instance and put a big base back together digitally instead of just sitting there putting the puzzle pieces back together which although fun can be less we can't you can't take them home with you either so there's there's so many issues in archaeology about um uh just laws and where you can transport or not transport artifacts and how you can gain access to information and, and so they brought these scanners in and we had a big presentation about it and afterwards some friends of mine were saying oh my god are you so scared like you're not gonna have a job and i was i are you kidding me i really want one of those and think of the things i could do with that scanner and you know now of course <laughs> i have you know, a couple things and I scan my kids and like, like play around <laughs> at home as I'm sure everyone else in our profession does as well. And, um, you know, yeah, as soon as I got them, you know, it's like my favorite thing to do, have friends over, have a glass of wine and then have them sit on the floor and body scan them and, uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> use their image for whatever. But so much technology like this, you can scan something, but until you interpret it, until you process it and use it, what is it? It's just data. And then how do you present it? How do you, how do you um, present it to the viewer and, and all the other visual tricks that you can use as, as a creator, like really back to basic stuff of line or form or shading or not, or simplify or realistic. Uh, what sort of experience do you want them to have? That's always going to be up to the person driving, not the AI, not, right. we, yeah. we never, no, nothing is going to take that away from us we get human perception like no machine ever will and those individual little changes i guess that we just tricks that you can use with the knowledge of visual perception to 
take the viewer on a journey, have them look at what you want them to look at in the order you want them to do that, give sufficient weight to the elements that are important, cut out things that don't need to be around. There's just no substitute for humans. Humans Agreed. with a lot of experience and education. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and a lot of medical knowledge. So mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know. I'm not worried. Fair enough. I think we'll have jobs <laughs> in like 50 years if we make it that far. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think we're, uh, we're probably some of the folks who have the best chance at not only staying employed and staying relevant, but also in demonstrating for other folks how to do that too. Because one of the things I think is, I mean, it's kind of self-evident for folks like us, but it's not always, you know, obvious to people outside of the field, which is that, you know, we're producers, we're producing constantly, Yeah. you know, and there's just so many people who I think they're so unsatisfied with their work because they're sitting behind a computer writing emails all day. And yeah. when, when I spend a day writing emails, it's luckily it's not that often, but I do get like, oh, I didn't do anything today. I don't feel like I accomplished anything today, you know? And it's that contrast for, you know, well, yesterday, yeah, because I was building an animation yesterday or like yeah. tomorrow I've got, you know, this presentation to put together. So, yeah, it's it's like yeah, putting out being fires, able to, you know, versus like, mm -hmm. I don't know, chopping wood or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like you need to do it. But God, then like, what have you done? Yeah. I mean, sometimes useful things. Yeah. <laughs> for everyone out there who emails for a living, it, it does need to get done. But yeah, it just. I think that weighs on you, you know? Um, mm -hmm. Have you read Bullshit Jobs? No. Ooh, I like the title. <laughs> um, it's, it's my husband's favorite job. But uh, uh, it's, it's basically that concept of um, so many people, especially, you know, with computer-facing jobs, I guess, these days, um, get caught in that space of busy work that, that doesn't have meaning to them. So you can, you can say, be a trash collector. And that is an essential job and you're outside and like, actually in many cities, it's very, fairly well paid. And, but you're, you're providing a service that is necessary. So you're, you're going and you're doing, and physical labor doesn't really fall into this category necessarily because mm. you are using your body and your mind can be elsewhere, mm -hmm. you know, so you can, I don't know, you can put on your audiobook or whatever, or you can listen to music or you can just chill out and you can kind of just get into your, your physical work. And we are lucky very often to be in a productive mindset where we're creating something and we're very into that process. And so like at the best, you're in a flow state and at the worst, like at least you're solving some problems um, and they're frustrating you, but like you're working through it. But then there's that awful middle space where you cannot zone out because it needs your attention, but the attention that you're paying is on things that are so mind numbingly boring that you just like, want to die <laughs> and so many jobs have become that to theoretically justify middle management jobs because they're controlling all these people and they have all this stuff going on and yeah it's um it's a really interesting concept i think <laughs> and i i mean mm -hmm. how do you get out of that like and so many of these jobs could be automated but then where do you take those people well i mean i think there's a lot of good to be funneled into elsewhere that we could be working on but um I don't know. The world is broken. <laughs> I'm a little out of my lane here. You can tell. <laughs> Deep thought. No, but you have a, you have an incredible <laughs> perspective. Someone who's who's worked 
I mean, just so vigorously in this industry for so long. I mean, your, your portfolio and your CV are so impressive to me. I'm just oh, I'm blown away. You're nice. <laughs> okay, I love this career. You know, ever since I figured out it was something, I was like, this is what I was born to do. I mean, I think a lot of us feel that way. Mm-hmm. It just really felt like, it felt like a vocation. Mm-hmm. You know, I always drew, I always processed things through, you know, notebooks and all my notes and were always comics and like, and I got a little distracted in that direction and, you know, lost the plot a little bit. Like so many in our field, I kind of, I was going on a science track because I didn't really think of art as a viable career, even though I'd always mm-hmm. done art, you know, as a kid, not very professionally in a way, but sort of, I had a really weird art trajectory. I, I just had like a lot of disrupted art trajectory. So I didn't really have anyone helping hmm. me put together a portfolio or anything. I had people tell me, oh, you should go to art school. And I was drawing and I was, um, I did like mosaics and I did ceramics and stuff. And I, I would like find ways to insert art into my life. And often like, like I did, I taught ceramics to kids for clay. So they paid me in clay and firing time. And that was great. <laughs> and um, stuff like, stuff like that. But I was like, this is not a viable career. Everyone I know, um, and I even went to kind of an artsy high school, but like everyone who I knew was going into an art, taking that track for college, they seemed like they had a really good safety net and, or they seemed like they had something kind of identity based to say, hmm. or, or like expressive conceptual. It was more about the concept theoretically than, um, or that idea than, um, I don't know. I was just very into realism, like expressing what is there. And I didn't really realize that this was a thing that people paid people for. So it was always that vein. And I was like, well, I'll probably be a better scientist. And then I can just draw as a scientist, you know? And I got into college and I was like, immediately the kind of pre-med track just, I was very, it wasn't that it wasn't interesting. It was just like, clearly it was a weeding out track and I just didn't want to do it. I, I talked to some doctors and I kind of decided I didn't want to be a doctor. I pretty quickly decided I didn't want to do a PhD, even though I thought that I kind of wanted to go in that direction. And I, I was just like, I, how do I, how do I do this? And, um, and then I found archeology. span I got um, really lucky. I kind of bounced from biology to human biology to physical anthropology, which like, let me narrow down my weeder out courses and still focus on science broadly and take classes that I wanted to take. So I was like, narrowing down the um the requirements little by little um to make it uh less taxing on me so i could you know explore and i but through physical anthropology i found kind of by chance this um archaeological scholarship i applied and i got it uh to go down and dig in peru for a summer in the andes Amazing. which is awesome it was like very mm-hmm. very lucky twist of fate and um i got there and my professor had a lot more time than he had on campus on um, uh, on the dig site because you know again no internet really <laughs> up in the mountains like just remote so we'd go and we it was amazing and uh, made me fall in love with archaeology too but uh, you know you're digging all day and you're running a total station and mapping the site um, and uh, you know working with geology as well and and then at the end of the day we'd go home to our little uh, camp in a kind of little pension type thing. And we'd draw finds after dinner. So, and I learned how to draw lithics, which 
are amazing in that they're, they're a little map of this little, um, of like an obsidian point or like an arrowhead or, you know, or a knife or anything made with stone, right? Um, because what you have to do, and you draw them in pen. Are these and like the pen and inks? Yeah, yeah. So pen the pen and ink, um, usually, and they still are, even though we have all these other technology, because partially because, especially for obsidian stone tools, they don't photograph well. The light refracts mm -hmm. everywhere. Mm -hmm. You often can't take them off site, like we were talking about. It, you, they stay where they are, you know, and people who are studying them half a world away don't have access. So, so you take one and you actually map how it was created. So you have to know where did they first hit this, either chip it off a block or chip things off and start that way. And then you, you map out how a person created this. It's actually called flint mapping, the creation of a, of a lithic tool. Oh, very cool. And yes, yeah, so you have to know what you're doing and then you, you're communicating that through art. And my professor was like, well, you know, this is a job, you know, people do this for a living. <laughs> and I was like, well, that is what, I shall be doing for a living. <laughs> I have decided just now I shall be drawing lithics and other things. Um, so I, I did, I went back. Um, that was a, so I went back for my junior year of college and I was like, I'm a science artist now, I'm gonna do this. And uh, it was just like total turnaround of my engagement in education. I, it took me a long time to go to grad school because I basically just started freelancing right away. And I'd go to people and I'd say like, hey, what can I draw for you? Like, what can we visualize? And can you teach me how to do this? And I'll do that for free. And then once I did it for free, I would charge them. Mm. And that kind of built. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, then I would try to do that in different areas. So I'd be like, I wanna draw spiders. So I'm gonna go find an arachnologist and I'm gonna say, how do I draw spiders? And they'd say, well, actually, mostly we just draw the genitalia. That's all. <laughs> That's how you classify spiders. Who knew? I didn't know, but now I know. And then I would do one and I'd come back and I would ask for that all important critique. And they would say, well, this isn't right, but you did a pretty good job here and like do this. And, and it was just a really good way to learn. It's like my own little weird course of study that I created because I didn't have like a good medical art track where I was at. I had great science available. So I did a lot of that, but uh, most of the art learning I did early on was um, either via scientists or via like the GNSI handbook. <laughs> Um, and art mm. books that I was able to find and online, you know, like lynda.com, LinkedIn learning was awesome yeah. for getting Photoshop and Illustrator. And I, I feel like that's the track of so many medical artists or, you know, you, you need technical skills, you need art skills, you need science, obviously, and you need communication and you need some sort of, you know, some soft skills thrown in there um, and hopefully some business savvy regardless if you're freelancing or if you're going into a company and or institution. And if you can pick up those pieces, it doesn't really matter what your journey is. Or even if you go to grad school, it's like, you just have to get those things. And once you have all those things in your toolkit, you're like, you're good to go. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. I, I kind of, I think, I don't know. Not that grad school didn't help. It certainly did. I want to ask you more about that, but first I just want to like go back a little bit because you mentioned the GNSI, which okay. is the Guild of Natural Science Illustrators, a fantastic yeah. organization. And I have a copy of that book. Uh, yeah, the Guild Handbook of Scientific Illustration. Fantastic book. Lots of good stuff in there. They're going to update it, I think. I think. Forgive me if I'm wrong, GNSI, but... But it's, um, it's so much great traditional knowledge, but I feel like it can be rolled into digital. 
like the conventions and the and the way of approach are there and and you can you know you can approximate traditional techniques in digital there's there's a lot to learn in that book so yeah yeah i really like the way you described your experience there of working with scientists and kind of going directly to the source yeah. you know like like finding these researchers uh the archaeologists and working directly with them i think that is probably one of the best ways to really get into the field and get working on the types of projects where, you know, it's going to elevate your game. It's going to teach you, you're going to be training as you're doing the work. And it's, it's about making those kinds of connections. And I think yeah. grad school is one of the best places you can possibly go to make those connections. Right. But certainly for medical. Like I, I mean, mm -hmm. medical, I don't know how I could have done that without grad school. Um, I realize some people do, but it certainly was a fast track to that and to access to those people. And it really, I mean, medical is a different world than the natural science. There's just so many things there that need to be known. Mm -hmm. So I, I mean, I feel like I was getting to a point where I was fairly successfully freelancing natural science and biology before grad school. And then I, but I really wanted to do medical and I wanted to spend two years working on my art and getting better. Yeah, I have found it worth it to anyone out there thinking about that decision. Um, I don't know. I, I think it's worth it, even with a freelance business going in. No, I agree. I, I would absolutely not have my job if I had not gone to grad school. I mean, my, my job only exists because of my grad school experience. Yeah, I mean, I jumped straight back into freelance right afterwards. But the type of projects that were coming in before and after, oh my God, like just... It, it was so immediately worth it. Wow. Wow. And the way that I approached my work was just with so much more confidence and so much more mm. um, just hours logged, I guess. It just would have really been really difficult and taken a lot longer to do on my own, if even possible. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. But that said, I mean, there's, there's a lot of educational options out there and um, everyone's different. And then some people make the switch way later and they come with a much more heavy science background that can be kind of rolled into a different sort of visualization. And it, it is also like, what are people's goals? You know, we, mm -hmm. again, we're not in like the specimen drawing era where it's just like, it's carbon dust or it's, you know, we're in the communication era in which there's a lot of different roles to be played um, whether individually or on a team. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of places where people fit. And there's people who fit, who bring massive skill sets from different industries and roll that into a medical art career. And that's so valuable. Like we need that because you can't, no one person can specialize in everything, right? Mm -hmm. I used to hope that you could, and now I know better. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah you, there's a lot you can engage with when you're working on these types of projects where you are using a camera to get some reference photos and mm -hmm. maybe you're doing a mock-up in a 3d scene so you can kind of study the perspective from different angles but then your final asset is going to be an illustration so you can be jumping between different software tools but yeah you make a great point that you know you do kind of have to find a focus at some point i feel like it's good to but, but it's good to have like a broad knowledge though. You, I know you've been mm -hmm. like exploring photography recently and I'm, I'm like a big photography hobbyist. I was just, I wanted to ask you, um, how do you feel, do you feel like that's improved your 3D? Oh yeah. Cause I feel like photo is knowledge of, um, 
I'm thinking of like, I was just popping into my head, um, Night at the Roxbury, where um, <laughs> like totally ran. A businessman must have knowledge of computers, but I, I was just thinking, like, <laughs> a 3D artist must have knowledge of photography. Um, this is I, it's late here, so this is where my no, head is. Okay. <laughs> no, I I completely agree. But, it's it's interesting, but yeah. I, so I did an online course uh, for photography, and ever since, I mean, whenever I look through the camera lens, I'm thinking a little bit differently than I had before. And yeah. I'm looking for yeah. things that I didn't look for. I'm thinking the same way when I'm in a 3D scene and I'm looking through the viewport. I put on that same that same hat as what I'm doing with the with the camera lens. And I'm trying to look for framing. I'm trying to even when I'm just modeling, I'm still when I'm moving my camera around, I'm moving it into positions where this would be a good composition. Yeah. And that informs how I will model because I'm like, well, I want the silhouette of this form to be recognizable right. from every conceivable angle. But well, most importantly, though, the key angles that I know are going to be used for my keyframes in the animation. Yeah. Well, and I mean, even like, I'm, I'm not an expert at this at all. I, I do. I dabble. <laughs> but, you know, um, uh, but yeah, it's it just when you think about digital art, I mean, I love so dearly, but it's it's such a broad world, you know, and you can go and approach, um, you can go and approach something with such different views based on your background um, and like how you're, how you're viewing a scene or an image and um, how you're setting that up and what way you're getting to the finish line is so unique to each person now, I feel like. I mean, there's different workflows, but there's such possibility for so many more workflows and, and breaking out of those traditional workflows now. I, I'm extremely interested in that, <laughs> in, in um, our sphere of the world, I guess. I, I feel like, you know, when I was learning to draw well and, and really trying to draw realistically, I got into sculpture and sculpture and understanding those silhouettes and understanding like, okay, as I turn my model and I'm trying to, man, like, it's, it's crazy. Cause you're trying to grapple with so many stills and, and you need to, you're pumping that out. But you, if you don't have, if you're, if you're taking shortcuts on one view, you know, when you're modeling something, when you're sculpting something, at least it supplies in like ZBrush too, or whatever, you know, or, whatever, well, actually, whatever you're doing, whether you're doing hard surface modeling or what you're doing, but like, oh, totally. if, you, yeah. if you, if you just shortcut something and you're messing that up and you don't have your silhouette and your outlines and your, your key points measured, you know, you, it all falls apart and you can never get back because the system is not correct. So, so you don't even have, you don't even have a framework on which to work. It's just like gone, but it, I didn't understand that before, you know, it, it was like, a major breakthrough in like how I thought about everything. Uh, mm -hmm. Even 2D drawing, it's just like, oh, well, my light's not going to fall like that if I, you know, it just like makes you think more in, in 3D form, I guess, I don't know. Mm -hmm. But and recently I've been doing more kind of trying to break down shapes and, and thinking, I guess a little bit more painterly, but also, I mean, not in the work necessarily that I'm doing here, but also in kind of like theater sets in a way. Oh, okay, interesting. Like, uh, like in, 
I don't know, just a different way of, um, I've been trying to do some like children's projects um, and thinking about more primitive styles in which um, I, I always find it hard to draw flat. I'm not like mm. a flat drawer. <laughs> um, <laughs> drawer is not a word, but like, <laughs> um, I'm, I'm learning how to do that in a way and thinking in terms of like, okay, if I put these trees or bushes in the front and that's perspective, but it's flattened perspective. I only have these, it's like a set and I can use that set to represent my field of view, but I'm not going to let myself break out of those. I'm going to flatten them. So I'm only, I'm simplifying versus, and then the tree, you know, stretched out this way and I'm going to do like a dynamic foreshortened perspective thing. It's, it's just a different way of, and it's, it's actually pushing back into my medical artwork and, and like thinking of different ways that I want to experiment with it, you know, different viewpoints mm -hmm. of, and, and see what the results are. Maybe it will be useless, but. Oh, this sounds fascinating. Wow. So, so you've been doing more 3D work. I love 3D. I wish I could do more of it. I, it just doesn't, you know, it doesn't always come in. I find I like work it into like journal covers and I mean, I, I shortcut with it all the time. Like as I, I assume, you know, many of us do, I, you know, I'll take on an educational oh, yeah. project. Maybe it's going to be kind of a comic style, but like if I'm doing like an anatomy locator, I'm going to pull out anatomy lady, anatomy man. I'm going to stick him in there. I'm going to rotate him around and like stick the uterus where it's supposed to go. And then I'm going to draw it correctly in my, when I've rotated them around to do an exploded view or whatever. Like it's just a shortcut that's so much easier than trying to figure that out by hand. Oh my God. And there's so many 3d assets out there, you know, that you can use as a base. Oh, totally. Yeah. 3d is so important. It's just, it's such a, it's such a tool. It's so hard. I, I can't even imagine my life without it at this point. <laughs> and then the, yeah. the next iteration, of course, being like the game engines, right? Like Unity and Unreal. Yeah, which I do, you know, disclaimer, so little work in. <laughs> I did my thesis in Unity oh. and I've like not touched it since. Mm -hmm. But it is useful to know about, right? Mm -hmm. I wanted to know the production pipeline from like conception and storyboard all the way through to Unity. So like get the data process the data, sculpting, simplify, UV map, do this, take it to Unity, do the coding in Unity. It's, it's useful. I mean, it's useful now. I, I do use that knowledge of production, even if I'm not the Unity person. Um, so mm -hmm. it's always, you know, it's, it's good to know what people are doing down the line, right? Oh, definitely. You don't ruin yeah. their day by doing <laughs> um, And like, yeah. <laughs> Here's my model, you know, it's beautiful. It's a million trillion polygons. Right, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But uh, it's, sometimes I feel like I'm getting behind. I don't know, do you ever feel like that? Every day. <laughs> right? I'm six years out of grad school now. So six years. I, then I see people's stuff coming out and I'm like, what is that? And <laughs> when in my schedule am I going to find time to learn about this? What's your, what's on your high priority list for things that you want to pursue? Oh, up my 3d game a bit. Maybe, maybe next year I, I got to get, you know, kids back in school at some point Then I can like actually mm. attack this with, I, I'd love to do better 3d work than I'm doing. This year has been a lot about painting. I mean, partially the mm. animals where I want to, I want to just be a better painter. I, I want to do some bigger projects. You know, it's right now, I feel like for me, it's less about 
I don't know. I have, I mean, I have a, I have a list that's like a million miles long of things I want to learn and I'm never going to get to all of them. So I feel like it's kind of, at this point, it's almost creating projects in which I learn intuitively as I'm doing them, you know, mm-hmm. whether personal or client-based. Otherwise things languish on that list forever and they never happen. And then mm-hmm. like four years later, like, well, I meant to, but yeah. 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 I think the project structure helps tremendously with having a direction and giving you the motivation. Like I've had, you know, software sitting on my laptop for years where I'm going to learn this. I'm going to learn this. And then I never touch it because I didn't have like an impetus. But then once I have that project, it's like, okay, well, I have to use this now. And in the past like two years or so, I've finally started doing these, you know, little mini projects. And that's, that's been the ticket. To force me to jump into that software and and learn it. I find it, I find it really difficult um, sometimes like working at home, doing my own thing to find time for that and like carve out time for that because sadly and weirdly, I mean, here I sit in this like wreckage of a plague room kitchen (laughs) right now, um, which is fine. I mean, it works. It's, it's where the internet has been. Now the internet is faster as of today, and now I can branch out into other rooms. But oh, excellent! Um, <laughs> I'm really excited. But it's um, yeah, it's like every minute of your day could be a billable hour, and mm-hmm. and separating that into boxes away from life and family and friends and hobbies. When I had those things two years ago, you know, and we will have them again. Um, but, and then putting continuing education on there and choosing that from the list is hard, especially if client work is coming in, you know, I kind of have this like urge never to say no, unless it's something that really, really, really doesn't fit with me. Mm -hmm. Part of that's, it's kind of a service. Like, I feel like I'm running a service here. It's a service business in a way. And I, I do kind of feel like there's a duty to help with science communication. That's what I'm doing. If I was running, you know, a bakery, would I be turning someone away? No, no, you know, like no scones for you today because I don't feel like it. It's it's like a weird little, but obviously I'm going to have to be more selective because as you build your career, like you just have too much work comes in and um, it can be given to other people, Mm -hmm. either subcontractors or or just given away and um, or I guess you could grow. That's the other option. Yeah. But I think that's a really great point that you don't have to take on every single client that comes on or, you know, I get a lot of people who they come at me and they want me to make this great thing for them or this animation. Yeah. And then as soon as we talk about budget, they're like, oh, well, you know, I was kind of hoping that, (laughs) you know, but it's, you know, it's like, hey, man, this if I were a plumber or if I were, you know, a lawyer, you wouldn't come asking me for, you know, a free gig. You know, it's, it's work, it's time there, you know, and it's a lot of time and it's a lot of revision and there's no way that you can even justify taking on like a 3d animation for little to no pay. I mean, there's a price and the price is what it takes to make it. Yeah. Which for those listening is thousands of dollars. Yeah. They're expensive. I do think people often underestimate these things, but if you add up the hours that are going to be spent on that, you know, I mean, you may spend 40 hours on a still piece with a client, if it's going to be something amazing. Um, I mean, and that may be like an infographic spread or something, but you, I mean, God, when I 
work on Nat Geo infographics, like the, the spreads that you pull out in the middle. I doing research, not doing the art for that, not doing um, the editor's job. I very often go over a hundred hours on a project. I believe it. And it, and yeah. it's that, I mean, everything is fact checked. Everything is checked and checked and checked. And many, you know, things have been explored during that time and designed. And there's been a lot of things cut always, but just, you know, I think people underestimate how much time art takes and what, what it takes to create something really good or something different, something that hasn't been visualized well before the research that goes mm -hmm. into that, you know, something that's effective for like for education or whatever you're going for. Um, you know, I, I mean, sometimes I've spent a lot of time on like a patient ed piece or, or a medical education piece, I should say is often takes me quite a while. If we're going for something that really communicates a really difficult topic and um, my client is willing to invest money in figuring that out. Sometimes it really, it takes a lot, but then you get, if you get one good image, you know, I know everyone appreciates when you're looking back through the images that have been created and like someone's really hit upon something and then everyone just goes and like rips them off over and over and over again, mm -hmm. you know? Yep. Oh yeah. We've all seen that. Better, but like someone did something effective and then everyone else did it too. And no one ever thinks twice about doing it a different way. And to hit upon something like that, it's kind of cool. But also like, I think that's probably one of my favorite types of job is like trying to find a way to visualize something difficult that hasn't been done well or like mm -hmm. could be done better. And like getting an image that is better, I love it. Like if I feel oh, like yeah. I can accomplish that, it doesn't happen. Yeah, I always... <laughs> Yeah, I, I always think it's a great sign when you're researching a project and it's really hard to find visual reference. Mm -hmm. That's that's an indicator that you've just hit on something. Yeah, yeah, and there's and there's so many areas of of that sort still. I've been messing around with like the pelvis a lot right now, mm. reproductive organs, and they're just like a curly mess of fun. And, <laughs> and no, I mean like, it's just, and, and then the muscles wrapped around this way and the ligaments wrapped around this way. And then someone clenched their pelvic floor and everything changed. And it's, mm. it's crazy. Mm. And, um, and then you get into surgical, right? And surgical is all about planes and points of spaces, spaces and windows and mm. other windows and spaces and how you reach those. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, because nope. this is much. No, no, that's exactly it. You nailed it. That's that's what the surgeons mm -hmm. are thinking about. Mm -hmm. How do I get to this space and how do I define it and what are its borders and its landmarks? And then when I've got that map, then we cut it up and get to the next one. And then we get to the next one. It's like video game levels almost mm -hmm. in a way. I don't know. Totally. You probably have better ways to describe that, but that's what I think of. No, no, that sounded spot on. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, all these different, that's what's so great about medical art. You, you, it's every different audience has a different need, right? And a different approach that is appropriate for that, mm -hmm. that need. I mean, I like never do med legal. Med legal is a whole different world. You need, oh, totally. you need an emotional reaction as well as accuracy. And then there's other areas like patient ed. You don't necessarily want an emotional reaction. You're like going exactly the opposite end of that spectrum. You want to explain, but you don't want to upset necessarily. Mm -hmm. There's a lot to think about, you know, that, that we have to consider when we create an image. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I want to go back to yeah. something you mentioned earlier. You're a great interviewer, by the way. Oh, thank yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> I've been trying to get better. So oh. I, I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. 
this ties in a lot with the the client work and also building the relationships, right? Mm -hmm. Earlier, when you were talking about working with scientists, you mentioned do some free work for them, do free work, and then uh, yeah. and then move into paid work. So talk a little bit about that transition. Yeah. So I was lucky in that I found this in college. And when you're a student, you kind of live in this special space where you can just say like, I'm a student and people just let you get away with anything. And you get to, you get to like go into space. You're non-threatening. You're not like going to take their job. You're not encroaching on the, you're just there to learn and grow. And you might be valuable to them too. And, and so I kind of saw it as like a barter economy that I was present for. And uh, I was lucky enough to be at like a research institution, you know, a research university where I had a lot of resources available in the sciences. I got some good advice from medical artists and science artists that I called up and found at that time who said, you know, learn some digital skills and draw, draw from life, do this, do that, you know, and gave me some book recommendations. But realistically, I just felt like I needed to learn by doing, which is you know, how I, I learn best. And um, if you're a student, you can go to a professor and say, hey, this is my dream. I want to do this. I'm very interested in it. I'd like to learn to draw, well, like fossils. <laughs> I got to take home so many fossils. I had like Antarctic dinosaurs on my kitchen table at one point which is awesome, wow. like femur. And, you know, and then these things turn into publications for them. You know, they're, they're like, yeah, you can draw this fossil I found, you know, absolutely. That's great. And you're going to do it for free. Awesome. You know, and then once you do it, you have a publication, you know, I've got those get published. And uh, so, so that's where I think, you know, there's always this question of exposure when and it's a trope, right. In our industry, anyone sends me an email and they say, this is going to be great exposure. Like, not to be trusted ever. Yeah. <laughs> and but what, what is good exposure is doing something that will be published when you haven't been published. Hey, portfolio item, CV item mm -hmm. and experience. And then you have experience and actually then you are professional. You are, you have professional experience. You just didn't get paid. So that's how I saw mm -hmm. it. And I, you know, I would get paid pretty quickly. By the time I graduated, I was, I was doing some freelance gigs for a number of different and I was, I was actually supporting myself on art when I did graduate from college uh, in a weird way. I was doing, um, I was working for this Huntington's disease group where I was mm -hmm. doing really shitty medical illustrations <laughs> at the time. Um, I mean, not their fault, my fault, but it was, it was kind of a student group, but it was also it rolled into recent grad. So I was um, interpreting science of Huntington's disease. And then I was doing archaeological illustration. And then I actually ended up working for a startup in Silicon Valley where I was like the designer of, get this, a, this was 2008, a safe social network based on physical objects, which happened to be embedded RFID charm bracelets, which you would trade with your friends okay. or interact with your friends. And so you would know your friends online and then you could build out your online persona and space in a safe social network aimed at twin mm -hmm. girls. Okay. And it, you know, it got funding for a while. We got funding and um, we were a small team and we were, so we were building this out. And so I was like, I was doing the graphic user interface and I was doing, I actually was doing resin charm bracelet prototyping and stuff and building. Oh, wow. And it was, it was really, it was really interesting. I learned a lot. Uh, and I actually ended up doing a lot of the business side as well there and doing like VC pitches and stuff. And I, I learned a lot about business there. 
So, you know, mm. these things, and I just got into that because I wanted to improve my graphic design. It was an ad and I was like, I could do that. I don't really know that much yet, but I'm going to apply. <laughs> and they took me. And then I learned, I learned and I learned. And there's, there's so many like side steps, I feel like that lead you forward in the end. I was really just trying any way I could to get paid and learn at the same time at that time. That's yeah. the trick. I mean, the way you're describing it, it kind of sounds to me like you figured out how to create opportunities for yourself. Yeah. You know? Um, well, I don't know. Whenever I'm like feeling bad about something in choices, my parents are always like, I go, you know, visit them. And they're like, you'll be fine. You're a hustler. <laughs> you're, I'm not worried at all. Like, but I'm concerned. No, you'll be fine. <laughs> um, and I don't, I think they, I think they mostly mean that in a positive way, but um, I don't know. But I, I do, no, I, I do kind of like creating what I want to do, creating projects. Mm -hmm. And um, so I actually, I feel like I'm very comfortable. I'm, I'm a good candidate for freelance. Mm -hmm. I like doing what I want to do. And like, I kind of get to steer the ship. And then if I want to change things and tweak things later, I get to do that. And like, I find that fun in a way, mm -hmm. in like a really sadistic, yeah. more, like, more, <laughs> it's, it's like some more, I'm living some people's worst nightmare, I think. And <laughs> I kind of enjoy it, but I like the freedom. I like the freedom and I like to answer to myself at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Despite the fact that when you do that, you also are saying, okay, but I'm also going to be the IT guy and the marketing person. And I'm going to do all the tax stuff. And, oh, I want to hire some subcontractors. I got to figure that out. And blah, 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 you know, and oh no, my yeah. software is down. How do I figure that out? So you got to kind of like be willing to take on all those roles. And sometimes that's exhausting, but mm -hmm. you know, if, if you're a person who likes that control, I think it's good. Yeah. But then again, you know, there are many institutional jobs, even more now. I feel like there's been a glut of creations of institutional positions lately. Maybe I'm wrong on that. I don't know. Got to wait for the next survey to come out. But um, <laughs> <laughs> the AMI produces a great survey for those who don't know um, uh, oh, every few years. And uh, it's a great way to kind of figure out what the profession is doing and kind of gauge salaries and benefits and and where trends are going. And I, I rely on that heavily in terms of like figuring out where the ballpark is for pricing. Yeah. Oh, same. Yeah. It's so great. Uh, and, and just like, what's, what are people doing? Where, where are things going? What are they working in? Um, because you can, you know, there's other areas where you can kind of try and get pricing materials and stuff, but they're just not specific to us. And I find that they don't cover the range of what we do. So it's, it's really like the Bible for me. No, absolutely. Same, same here. I think maybe they, they should talk about that more or maybe they can't. I'm, I'm not sure. Honestly, like, you know, I just paid my dues again today. It's like renewal time. That thing pays for it. Yes. Like, yes, they should advertise. It. Yeah. I'm, I am happy to be an AMI member for access to that survey. Yes. Personally. <laughs> and the hub. And it's not just it's not just something that you're receiving, you know, like that they're just giving it to you. You're participating no, in it, course. right? Because yeah. they they because yeah. as a member, they're asking you to contribute and be one of the people who's voicing, you know, what your what your numbers are. Yeah. And everything's anonymized on the survey when you get the results back. But you know, you're a part of it and you're finding out, you know, what what people are charging, you're finding out what the demographics of, you know, different uh, job titles are. Yeah. Really valuable information. And 
you know, this is, these are the benefits. And also when it comes to paying dues, I think it's really worth mentioning that compared to other professional organizations, the AMI is one of the cheapest, most reasonable professional organizations to be a member of. I mean, the surgeons I work with their yearly dues. I mean, they just like, they're like 10 times what the AMI is, you know, also you get like a year free, right. As a Mm -hmm. student, there's like a free year. Um, Mm -hmm. so yeah, lots of good resources there that, uh, I'm super happy to have in business. Also the camaraderie of the hub and, you know, working alone in a vacuum, it's like daily dose of fun. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I learned so much on there though. And I, I really do feel like it helps me keep up with what's going on, even though, you know, I'm not seeing everyone in person, I feel connected, mm-hmm. which is important. Network is important. Oh, it really is. You know, we were talking about like the toolkit you need to gather for a career, the missing, I forgot network. You need network. Absolutely. That's, I was really missing that when I first started and that held me back more than anything else. And as I expanded my, like, I didn't know anyone. I I was just drawing by myself, you know, in a really inefficient schedule. I would get up at like, when I first graduated from college, I, after I finished kind of the Silicon Valley stint where I was like, it was crazy stuff, but, but it was like, right. um, Right. When the economy crashed. Mm. So we actually had more funding on the table. that just got pulled away overnight. It evaporated. And um, yeah, which was actually the best thing that could have happened. But for a while there, it was just like, I'd get up at 1 p.m. And then I'd, I'd veer late. So I'd like work into the night. And um, it was so at my coffee table, like on the floor with coffee, you know, yeah, sitting on the floor, <laughs> all my papers spread out in the living room and um, of like my shared house. Mm-hmm. It was it was not the best working practices. And I didn't know anyone. So it was just like it's things are I mean, I guess things are not so different now actually this week <laughs> oh it's all good no I, i'm at the kitchen table everything's splayed out in front of me and i have like you know baby food and the medications and the like <laughs> everything here and the coffee and yeah and my recording apple so i don't get dry <laughs> mouth <laughs> okay so you've hit a, upon something here i have to ask you because you know, looking at the work you've done and just knowing who you, who you are on social media and, and the work that you're putting out all the time, what tips do you have for, for uh, time management? I know you have a lot of tips and I really have appreciated listening and reading your tips. That's always been a treat because oh, <laughs> you've given me a lot of good ideas because <laughs> um, I, I really love productivity and I love, um, I, I became obsessed some years back with um, Cal Newport's work on deep work. Mm, and now he does a lot great of like book. Oh, so good. So good. Yeah. So, and deep work for those who have not gone through this is the concept that you can get like maybe four hours of really quality work out of your day. And that's not emailing and that's not, you know, um, social media and that's not just kind of putting out fires or a little, but it's like going and diving into a project and like creating a scene, doing a layout, you know, just really, getting in there and getting some good work done and really thinking deeply about it. And that's like, but you have to guard that space. Um, and that it may be turning off your email. You don't check your email for three hours because if you, if you divert your attention and you pull yourself out of that and you code switch, you lose so much time. You lose so much by pulling yourself out of that environment. Um, your mental concentration is shot for like a half an hour. So, um, 
I'm a huge, even though it's not necessarily like a productivity hack or whatever, I, I do try to create spaces in my day. These days it's like this time, mm-hmm. um, which for me is like midnight when I'm alone and I can, no one's bothering me and it's great. And I can just really get something done. And then throughout my day, I can email and shoot things back and answer little questions and everything, but that's shallow work. And it's just, so keeping, keeping those separate and doing those at the correct time is really important. I also feel like, you know, with animals and stuff, I, I always have things listed and organized and I always have lists of action items. So even, you know, usually at the start of a normal day, I go through and I list everything and I get it out of my brain. And then, um, and often that's like kind of, and I do it on paper because I like to change things on paper. If I put it in an app, I have to look at it and get it, you know, I have to open it up. I have to physically do something. So I just like have it right by my mouse and I'm constantly have this sheet of paper that's morphing over the day. Um, If something can be done like within five minutes, often I'll do that first, just get it out the door. And if something, if a project needs to get out the door, like if I can get, basically, I feel like freelance work is like playing, I don't know, five to 15 concurrent games of tennis. And I'm just like (laughs) running from court to court. Like, can I hit the ball back? Can I hit the ball back? And then once the ball's in their court, like, I don't have to think about it. And I put it aside and I have, um, and I do that with my desktop too. Um, This is my, one of my favorite (laughs) Um, I have like my desktop on my computer is just 50% gray. And then I have all these, I've drawn on it. It's an image where I've drawn a bunch of little circles and in the circles, there's a title. So I have like to email and communicate in review, action needed, dormant. Where are they? You know, uh, working on personal project, book, this thing, this thing, financial marketing and ads, social media, blah, 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 blah. And I have like all these boxes and then I move files around on my desktop into the different boxes throughout the day. So then like medical illustration podcast is currently in the action items um, (laughs) along with, you know, five other projects that are active that I could work on when we're done with this. You know, this is brilliant. I love this. So a designer I worked with did it. And I was just like, you've blown my mind this is like the best thing that's ever happened to me um and it's great because it's it's like a file system right in front of you and and I can really ignore and then I color code files so I can I see them I can't even see files I haven't color coded on there I like I need the dot next to it at this point yes make it a thing that exists oh I'm so I'm all about the color coding (laughs) yeah yeah um I don't know why but my brain just like ignores anything (laughs) um at this point. Um, but so I'm, I'm very interested in that. And then like having everything on the list set up. So while I'm doing like my email and my shallow work, uh, these animals, for instance, are just constantly happening. And I always have like 10 set up. I have like 10 of them languishing on my iPad. Mm-hmm. And I'm, because a lot of this is done in, in between moments between changing diapers. Mm-hmm. When okay. my kids are doing something really boring and I just am sitting there and I can't do client work but I can certainly draw some feathers yeah yeah um, and so, so a lot like, of these are done piecemeal they're they're all done like that oh they're yeah. all done like that pretty much there I wow. just have like I have like 10 to 10 in progress at a time and I just scratch away at whichever one is interesting me the most in that moment and um and I, that's really interesting to me I find I gravitate towards different things at different points of time in the day. And I've always felt like it's good to 
if you can, grab the one that's calling you then. Like mm -hmm. if, if I'm kind of tired in the afternoon, maybe I'll just do some painting, you know, and I'm not, I'm going to save, for instance, I'm going to save like something where I have to read molecular papers and figure that out and chart that out for a time in which I'm functioning and I don't have distractions. Cause if I get distracted from that, I'm just like, it's going to take me twice as long. And so finding kind of what you're optimized to do at that point in time and having it ready to go. Right. Cause half of it, it's like going running. If my shoes are out, if I've made the plan, if it's on the list and like everything is just, all I have to do is step into the shoes and go out the door, I'm going to do it. So like with the animals or anything else, you know, I, I have, along with the animals, I have some stuff to paint loaded on the iPad always. Mm -hmm. So, oh, you know, I have this client job. It's like an ecosystem figure. I can scratch away at that when I have a little time. I draw when I'm cooking. Like this year, I've just been drawing constantly, but, but it, it is like, I, I can get a lot done in those spare moments, you know? And then of course I take everything back in Photoshop and like fix it up because Procreate just doesn't do it for me in terms of finalizing. Mm -hmm. It gets Sorry, you, it gets you like 90% there. It's like 90% there. Yeah. And then like it lacks some functionality that Photoshop just like, they're just not, I mean, it, but it's great for the tactile and the like, there's a space for it certainly. And I, I'm all for it, mm -hmm. <laughs> but it's, um, it's a step in the process. It's not, yeah. it's not final art. Oh, that, that's awesome. I love the way you but, describe your day there. It's like, that was really random in a way, but that's like, that's pretty much it. Also, I feel like the other thing that is very much interesting to me is um, where over optimizing your schedule can be counterproductive. Mm. Like interesting putting things down on paper. My husband used to try and get me to do like a phone app or something because he he can do that and his work is different than mine and um you know he he'll open up like it works for him i will make a list digitally and i will forget about it for two years and then i'll be like what is this <laughs> and that's um so i i just can't do that i need flexibility too i want to cross things out i want to make notes i want to and i i find unless i do that sometimes i do it in photoshop but i can't be constrained within a word format or anything like, cause edits get added on in that way. You know, the other thing I do with edits and such is if I get an email back with edits, if it's a, if it's a email, I'll just screenshot it and I'll drop it right in a document, mm. like my Photoshop document. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you do that sort of thing, but like edits go straight into the file. Mm -hmm. I don't need them elsewhere. I don't need to be opening multiple files. I yeah. like, I'm working on this thing drop that layer right in there, turn it on, turn it off. And then I cross them out as I do them right in the file. Any, anything that can cut out a step is so, I'm so for, um, and it's messy. Now, given I work by myself. So like if anyone else came into this operation, we would have to do some <laughs> changes because <laughs> um, it's for me, you right. know, but- You know where to find certainly, it. Certainly, yeah. yeah, I know where to find it. And um uh, I, I do hope to get a little more organized in the years to come. But yeah, I mean, if, if you organize everything in like an immaculate file structure, but then it takes you like five minutes to get to that, what is it doing not on your desktop? Yeah. In my opinion. Mm -hmm. Now that said, that is what works for me. That is not what works for everyone. <laughs> and um, I feel like you should just go with what 
your brain needs and not try to fight it. I feel like the worst decisions I've made are trying to fight how my brain works and the best decisions, including medical art and going and doing this instead of going into a PhD program and research is like knowing that my brain likes this more. I do this well. I don't think that I would have been very happy doing a PhD. I'm, I'm way too flitty. I like well, you've, you've kind of, you've created your own, you know, you've created your own line of study and you've, you've reached PhD status in that, I think, you know, like, yeah, I don't know, but yeah, I mean, I, I feel like every medical artist kind of creates a weird little, a weird little world unto themselves, you know, Oh, totally. based on their own, like the sort of things they do <laughs> that are kind of unique and like, yeah, yeah. Like what, I'm always so curious, like to, to jump into someone's work after I haven't seen it in a few years, mm, mm. what are, what are they doing now? Like, what are they gravitating towards and what is interesting to them is always so fascinating. It's so different from what I'm interested in. Usually mm-hmm. there's overlap, but it's not the same. Yeah. Yeah. We are all different little <laughs> pockets of weird interests. This is true. This is true. <laughs> well, oh man, we're uh, we're an hour and forty five minutes in. Are you okay for time? Oh my god, yeah, I'm okay. I I have oh. this is my best time. This is my so, yeah. However long you want to talk, I'm thrilled to talk med art. <laughs> okay, cool. I did. Yeah, I just didn't want. I didn't want to cut into your uh, project Animalia time there. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm 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 back on track. Okay. I was really <laughs> I was really in trouble last week, but. Um, uh, yeah, today was penis snake and I saw that <laughs> penis snakes are really easy to draw. So <laughs> tubular creatures yeah, yeah. are so, saving me right now. Yeah. This and re- radiant symmetry. I thought that was, yeah, I thought that was really interesting that you, um, you said that was sort of like the snake equivalent of an amphibian, right? Yeah. Or, or the yeah, amphibian right? equivalent of a snake, right? Because snakes are like lizards that have lost secondarily their feet, mm-hmm. which is cool, right? They just gave them up. And um, yeah, Sicilians are that for like salamanders. Um, That's cool. super cool. Yeah, I you must know about all the different... Um, I remember finding out that there were marsupial large cats. Like there's basically the equivalent of a lion in a marsupial form. Yeah, just the idea of a marsupial lion. That just blew yeah. my mind when I when I found out about that. Nature is so cool. And what we learn about it generally is like the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. It's just so like you dig into any animal and you're like, what? It does what? <laughs> there's so there's so much. It's it's incredible. You know, you can never get bored. Um yeah. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I wanted to ask you if that was one of your inspirations for your move to Fiji. Where was the wildlife? Um, I'm here for my husband's job. Oh, okay. Okay. Purely. Yeah. We we move around. We move around, but it's it's him that takes us, not me. Oh, okay. So thank goodness for remote medical art. Yeah, he's yeah. he's a diplomat. So mm. um, he's here representing the U.S. government in economics. Oh, very so cool. he's geeking out about uh, Fiji land use right now. Ah. It's so fascinating. <laughs> it's based on tribes still. And the Methodists have 
a stake as well. And like, how did that happen? How, how was that brokered? So he's, he's, you know, going down his little track now and I'm geeking out about the wildlife and yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, fi- I figured though, like you must be in heaven though, right. With like your access you know, to the, you know, there's not that much wildlife on Viti Levu, uh, oh. which is the big island here. Mm-hmm. There's a lot on a lot of the, and there is, there's a lot of birds, but there's mm-hmm. only, there are five types of bats of which I've seen many now. Mm-hmm. They're all around. Uh, there are mongooses, which were oh. brought here. Yeah. So Indian mongooses uh, hitched a ride at some point. I don't know when. Um, and then we have some frogs. We've got cane toads, which I love. One of my favorite documentaries of all time is this Australian documentary on cane toads. I think it's called Cane Toad okay. or something. It's great. It's from like, I think the 80s. And it's amazing. It's You should watch it. All right, I'll um, check this I think out. on YouTube. But it's it's about the invasive species of the cane toad being brought in to uh, solve like locusts on sugarcane. But they didn't think about the fact that the locusts in Australia are different from those in Hawaii, mm. where the cane toad came from, because they have a different life cycle, or or uh, they do have a different day cycle, and um, they are not active at the same time. So oh no, <laughs> the wrong time of day to actually have any sort of effect, and then they just took over and like destroyed so much local wildlife oh no we have them here and they have evolved to like shrink their um their uh they've like toxic glands on their um and i'm i you know i need to research this this is just like what i've picked up so far but so they're, they're not very harmful here so like your dog can eat one here apparently <laughs> and it's not going to hurt it whereas in australia like that's bad news um but really cool stuff and uh uh and iguanas and stuff but but that's then it's like a lot of birds hmm. a lot of fish looking forward to scuba diving at some point mm. lots of lots of ocean wildlife i mean i'm not complaining i yeah. i sound really complaining <laughs> no no, <laughs> no wildlife is really cool it is really cool it's just um you know it's it's island skewed it's very very bird heavy as mm. you would expect yeah right lucky on. i i like birds <laughs> uh, so <laughs> but yeah it's it's pretty um i do enjoy that we get to travel around um i always wanted to do that growing up and actually part of my kind of long path into medical art was testing out if i actually wanted to be an artist Mm -hmm. because i wasn't sure that i would get to travel and interact with people and and do that um which was important i do think when considering this sort of career trying it out is a really good idea because uh it's a certain type of work some people i feel like have i've seen try to go down this track and after they've done it for a little while they don't they realize they don't really like to draw mm. or they don't really like to like it isn't really their thing they may have an interest in it but it's actual doing it day to day is not exciting to them and becomes a chore rather than something exciting so and who wants to do that for the rest of your life yeah. Yeah. There are some misperceptions I think people might have about the industry, like perfect example of like kind of what you just said, you know, like you think maybe go in and you're just drawing all day or you're just, you know, you're just creating, yeah. creating, but it's a lot of the, as you described earlier, you know, the, the communication and the, the relationship building with, with the collaborators or the experts, and you might spend all day just kind of like writing out or researching what needs to go into a piece or how it needs to look. And you're not actually touching, you know, the software, the Photoshop or, you know, 3d software until maybe halfway through. 
And yeah. yeah. What are some other misperceptions you, you've kind of picked up on or noticed? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that's a big one. I, I think the focus, like, as you're saying, you know, the focus on what is important in a medical artist is sometimes I get, I talk to a lot of students kind of trying, thinking about going down this career path. And I think that's good. I hope, you know, most medical artists are happy to talk to people, um, especially since, you know, not everything is so transparent and, and it's, there's not a million of us. So yeah, if you're considering this as a career, people out there contact someone, worst you're going to get is no answer, but people are usually really generous with their time. And the AMI has mentorship. Come be a mentee. I'm a mentor now. Oh, little, right you know, on. for that. And it's really fun and you learn a lot, but yeah, I, I talked to a lot of students kind of considering this and, um, early on. And I think there's this perception that you need to like draw a lot of medical things and then you'll get in. And, um, and that's not the case. In fact, many grad schools do not want you to submit scientific matter because uh, it's going to mess up the perception of, of your reviewers because they're so, if you draw, you know, the arterial flow to the brain and you mess it up, they're just going to be like, oh, done, gone. And I can't, I can't look at this. I can't. And they're not going to be able to review you as an artist in terms of your technical skill sets. Um, so learning how to draw, learning how to draw from life, right. And learning how to observe and then to, to rep, to replicate that when you create medical art is really important. And the reason for that is, um, you know, we draw things you can't see all the time, or we represent them in 3d. You need to create environments that don't exist. And to do that, you really have to, you know, similar kind of to, I think, a career in animation, or, you know, you really have to have a good understanding of form, of light, of how things work so that you can fake it convincingly. Mm -hmm. And I, I always tell people, you know, when they come and they're kind of at that stage and say, well, have you ever, you know, how long have you spent on a drawing? What's the longest you've spent on a drawing? Have you done a 40 hour drawing yet? Have you ever sat down and spent 40 hours on a drawing? If you haven't, this is the time, do it now. And also concurrently, have you been sketching? Have you spent one minute on a drawing? And have you tried to just capture the form of something very quickly? And all these exercises may seem tedious at first or seem pointless, but in each one you're working stuff out. I mean, similar to dailies, right? Coming back to that, it is, um, it is the practice of art, I feel like, that makes you an artist. You know, I, I remember like, I started calling myself, I was like, I'm a scientist who draws. And then I was like, no, I'm a, I can call myself an illustrator now. I can get to that. And then at some point I was like, no, I'm an artist. I am an artist. Oh, interesting. I'm a practicing artist. And uh, then I started to get annoyed by people who call themselves artists, but they never made anything. Mm. Well, you're not. If you're not producing anything, you're not an artist. But it is a practicing artist. And you're an artist just by practicing. You really are. You're practicing art, therefore you are an artist. And if you never practice, you are not really an artist. <laughs> so, or maybe you were once, but you know, if you were a swimmer in high school, but you don't ever swim now, are you still a swimmer? I don't know. Yeah. Maybe deep down. <laughs> Question, but, but like <laughs> off tangent, but um, learning to draw and learning how to represent things is really important. Fundamentals. I, I feel like fundamentals often get overlooked and then people have to kind of go back and get them. But just knowing if you know how to draw and you come in with a science background, that's all you need. Um, because grad school is all about project management, confidence, research, 
taking a job from start to finish. And those are things that are difficult to get if you're just kind of drawing in your house. Those are the things that that or or a mentor menteeship if you know you find yourself in an institution and you have like medical illustration mentors who are kind of guiding your career and that's how you're getting into the profession instead that practical experience of start to finish how do you do it what are the steps how do you how do you even manage a project that is like four months long and that is the master's research project the thesis whatever you're going to call it at different programs Mm-hmm. That's hard. I actually, that kind of floored me. And I think everyone else, that is a really difficult thing to do Ooh, to yeah. Oh, yeah. truly take something and work on it for four months or whatever, mostly just that. And like, what steps do you need to go through and how do you keep going and how do you make sure you're hitting your benchmarks? How do you even decide what to do and not to do? How do you know when you're done? How do you know when it's good enough? How, like all these questions, you need just experience to kind of gauge them. Much like pricing in this industry. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I can price some things much better now than I still, you know, I still kind of waffle about it. And sometimes I miss the mark, but it's just kind of experience. I can look at a job's prospectus summary and be like, oh, this will take me about 12 hours, you know, and I've just done enough work. And I think that's most people feel that way. Mm-hmm. You just need hours logged, you yeah. know, like anything else. Um, yeah, definitely. I don't know if that's helpful to people, but I think it will be. <laughs> I don't know. Um, grad school is hard. Anytime you're doing art only and you're just doing projects intensely, it's hard, but it's growth, you know? I feel like that's having that time was so valuable. Having time in which I didn't have competing interests, mm-hmm. really, or relationships, or, you know, I just was thinking about this thing all the time from the moment I woke up on the floor of the studio <laughs> to the moment I fell asleep on the floor of the studio, like, <laughs> but no, really though. Or the one coveted couch, which we traded off. <laughs> yeah. Right Hopkins now. is a special place. I bet. I bet. Yeah. No, I mean, all of these places are, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. Last question. What's, yeah. okay. what's your favorite piece that you've ever done? Oh my God. That is an unanswerable question. <laughs> no, it really is. I have many things that I get excited about that I'm doing. I will answer this in my own way. But so I saw some late night episode. I don't even know which show where Sondheim composer was on. And he had just written a book called like something about hats. I don't know. I made a hat, I think. And, um, <laughs> and he said, you know, when you're an artist and you're working on something, you're making a hat. Mm-hmm. And um, then by the time, then you, you say, okay, hey, look, I made a hat. And you show it to everybody and everyone says, oh, nice hat. Hopefully, you know, if you did a good job. And, uh, but by the time you're doing that, you don't even really care about that hat anymore. And you're already working on the next hat. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how I feel about projects. I have a lot of things I'm proud of, but honestly, the things I'm most interested in are exactly what I'm working on right now at any given moment. Because that is what I'm problem solving on. That's what like, I'm, that's what's captured my attention right now. And that's really what this is. It's just like things I've given my attention to, you know, mm-hmm. it's kind of a cop-out answer, but um, I really don't have a favorite piece. I have a lot of pieces that I think were successful for what they were. When I revisit them three years later, sometimes I redo them because I actually, I thought for many years about being a tattoo artist and I don't have any tattoos because I can't fathom putting something on my body because I know that I will hate it two years later yes. and I will 
I will freak out. Yes. And, and I, I've drawn tattoos for other people, you know, and I, I like that. I like the aesthetic. I don't have anything against having something on my body, but I know I want to draw it. And, and I think I'm finally going to do it, you know, at some point, um, <laughs> I, but, but like, but it, it's, it's a, it's a weird mindset of like, this is a journey and I'm on a journey and here I sit at this point in my journey and I don't even know where I'm going to be in 20 years. I know I'll be doing art, but I don't know in what form or in what area of the industry, who knows? And that's kind of exciting. And the other thing I should say on this before we'll wrap up, I guess, is I always like to be doing something I'm bad at. Really? And right now for me, that's children's books. I'm really <laughs> not good at it, but I've always wanted to do it since I was like five. And I was like drawing them myself. And I'm not good at it. It's something I'm like not good at. And I'm, I'm just really enjoying being a novice at that. Hmm. And I'm um, going through that process while I can currently either a professional or a master at certain other areas of my work that I can just shoot out without much struggle. It's, it feels good. because I feel like I'm growing and then being, you know, having contact with students also does that. Like, mm. You have new ideas and those new ideas then get kind of, they seep into your other work and you're like, oh, and you like look at things a different way. And I think that's really important for keeping motivated as an artist throughout your career, like constantly be feeding in a way and constantly be um, examining things in a different lens. That's, that's where, you know, photography and stuff come in. It's just like mixing up how you look at the world and like, are you in a rut? Are you always looking at something the same way? Did you get really comfortable with one style and you just do that all the time? You know, it is so liberating to do something you're not good at or try a different style, you know, try to reimagine something in a totally different way. I highly suggest it. So totally a cop out to your question. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love that response. That's, that's awesome. And I feel you there. I totally feel that. Like, yeah, yeah there is this joy and doing something for the first time, but having done things before and reached a level of maybe not mastery, but, but comfort with other skills. And then when you're learning a new skill, you're like, okay, I'm going to apply everything I learned about learning from these previous pursuits yeah. into this new one. And I'm, I'm going to be better able to make progress in the earlier stages and build a strong foundation in this new skill because I've done yeah i've done this before you know yeah there's nothing also like showing up at like a beginner's art class and a different thing you haven't done as an artist mm -hmm. and like immediately you're like oh i've never done this before <laughs> <laughs> and everyone in the class like comes over and they're like wow you're so good at this right away and you're like well i am a working artist <laughs> like, <laughs> really it's a good feeling um <laughs> it's a it's a guilty pleasure i guess but yeah yeah, yeah it's, it's a little unfair the cards are stacked in your favor once yeah. you've already solved a lot of visual problems <laughs> like yeah. apply it to a new medium like it's yeah. gonna go okay yeah yeah um <laughs> yeah but, but, the, but yeah. then you know you you make up for that though by being helpful to your classmates right yeah it, it counterbalances like the negative social media comments mm -hmm. you yeah. go yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> Bring it a full circle. Uh, yeah. Yep. yep. <laughs> Amazing. Awesome. I don't know. All right. Well, that, and that, I think that's a perfect spot to, to sign awesome. off. Yeah. Mesa, it's thank you so really much. Fun. Highlight okay. of my week. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode and a huge thanks to Mesa for her time. 
You can find Mesa Schumacher's work quite easily on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, where you'll see her daily animal illustration posts. If you navigate to her website at mesaschumacher.com, you can set a timer for yourself and see how long it takes you to go through her entire body of work. It's quite impressive. There's a lot of excitement, news, and even some controversies going on in the field right now. As always, I must remain humble and tell you that honestly, I'm not the most qualified person to touch on all these topics, so I'll be reaching out to people I know in the industry who can. Keep an eye out for new episodes coming soon. In fact, if you hit that subscribe button on the podcast platform of your choice, you'll get notified, and please leave comments as well. I read them all, and I will try my best to address any feedback or requests. So until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and every single day, do what you love.